Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Those of you online, uh, we get it. It's chilly outside, but we're glad that we're here together, that we can gather. And as we start this new year, we are praying for churches uh, in our neighborhood around us here. Uh, last week, the church has prayed for us. This week, we're all going to be praying for Fountain City Church, which is a new church plant meeting down at Meadowbrook uh, Park in their community center. They've been meeting for about two years. And uh, Pastor James shared some of the requests that they have. So we're going to pray for them this morning. And I, I just think it's a great way to start the year together. Together, uh, to be reminded that uh, we're part of a larger community of faith, that we're part of the kingdom of God, which is not just happening here at this church, but in other churches as well. And so we're praying for each other. Um, so let's take a moment and pause and, and talk with God. If you bow your heads and let's, let's pray together. Father God, as we begin this morning, we're thankful that we can start by singing these songs of worship that, that open our hearts to you, that move, move us. And help us uh, be reminded of who you are, that you are faithful and good and true, that you stand with us and, and hold us, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love for us. And we're thankful for what scripture tells us. Lord, this morning we want to lift up Fountain City Church. We thank you for this church and our community, for Pastor James and those who attend. And Lord, the work you're doing in them and through them in this neighborhood as they've been meeting for a couple years at the community center, they're looking for a new location. And Lord, we pray that you would guide them, that they would find just the right place to meet together as they're growing and needing some more space. How awesome is that, Father? We pray for James as he continues to teach and preach, Lord, that you would give him guidance and wisdom and what to say. We pray that you would provide for the finances of the church, especially as they're looking to add an additional staff person uh, to help in the work of the ministry. Lord, we pray that you would give them just the right person at the right time. Encourage them and bless them this morning as they're gathering, even right now. Uh, might they sense that you are with them and hear from you. Father, this morning we pray for those who are without shelter, those who are experiencing homelessness, especially in these bitter cold temperatures. Father, I'm thankful for Union Mission and other organizations that are creating safe, warm places for people. We just ask, Lord, that you would uh, sustain lives, protect people, save people from these, these cold temperatures. That might they find warm places to go? And might we be thoughtful and thinking of others around us who who may need help, may need assistance. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today as we continue into this conversation around uh, human sexuality, around gender. Lord, would you guide us and encourage us? Might we hear from you? We thank you for the truth of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're heading into our, our second week on this posture series. Uh, how are you feeling? about it. How does it feel moving in? We got, we got six weeks total we're going to spend in this conversation. It's a long conversation. As I said last week, I'm going to encourage you to continue to uh, be part of it as much as you can. If you miss a week, to go back and listen because these weeks will build on one another as we go through this time together. I heard from several of you over this last week that you were very thankful that we're talking about things like attraction and sexuality and what Scripture has to say to us about these experiences that we all have. You, and, and many of you talked about how you're thankful that the first step that we're taking on this hike is, is a, a chance to check our posture, 
to say, you know, we want to talk about these things in helpful ways and ways that draw people into the conversation and that we um, begin with a posture check. How do we approach people who might identify or have different experiences than we do? And however we do that, it should be a way that draws them into conversation towards the grace and truth of God, not away from it, but, but towards it. Because if you didn't know this already, let me remind you that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness, it's the goodness of God that, that draws us towards transformation, a desire to see him do something new in our lives. It's his kindness that brings us there. We put together a little summary uh, from last week that you'll find on the seat back in front of you, kind of the main talking points from last Sunday. Uh, we hope to expand on this as we go through the series so that we're all, you know, keeping track of where we're going. If you're watching online this morning, uh, you can find the last week's sermon online. I want to encourage you possibly to hit pause and go watch that if you haven't seen it yet. But let's stay in this conversation together. Uh, I also want to start this morning with a short little two-minute video Video, just to capture again what we talked about last week about our posture and how we want to listen to the stories of other people and allow them to have a story and acknowledge that they have experienced there's things that they've gone through. And so would you watch this little short video with me as we move into this conversation? I believe that Jesus was the perfect embodiment of truth and love because a theology of love without the truth isn't actually loving. And a theology of truth without the love isn't actually truthful. When Jesus loved people, he loved them into the truth. The way I always start out my story is the way lots of people start out their stories, and that's to say that from the time they were a little kid, they knew they were different. I can remember what it felt like to sit in that office and to be so afraid and to feel so hot and, and, and trembly and to not even be able to look at my father or mother in the face, but to have to tell them this thing that I was experiencing. They said, look, this is something I'm battling. I don't know what to do with it. And I was escorted out of the church and um, invited to never come back. And I didn't. For 18 years, I didn't set foot in a church. I see this as such a common response from evangelical parents of gay kids. It's as if they're looking at their gay kid and they say, in fact, sometimes they do and say, you have destroyed my dream for you. We have this way of, of really making this about us and about our pain. When in reality, as the parents of gay kids, it's impossible for us to even begin to understand the pain that they're dealing with. If you're really looking to reach into the LGBT community, the first thing to do is not look at it as the LGBT community, just look at it as people who, who need Christ. Debates about sexuality and gender are not just about issues. They are about people, beautiful people. These debates, they're about my friends. The narrator in that video is a man named Dr. Preston Sprinkle, and he began years ago a, a center, he calls it the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And he's written several compassionate and scholarly books about 
uh, sex and gender experience and expression in our culture today. And uh, it's from that center that we're receiving a speaker in a couple weeks, the first weekend in February, February 3rd and 4th. Uh, Dr. Greg Coles will be with us and uh, giving us some more time that weekend to lean into this conversation in a more significant way on Saturday evening and Sunday afternoon. I just want to encourage you, if you'd like to join us to do that, you can join us for one of those sessions or both of those sessions. Uh, they feature a lot of Q&A, a lot of what Bi the Bible has to say. Uh, we'll hear Greg's story and other stories. And so I think it's going to be a good weekend for us to continue this conversation. And so the QR code will be up on the screen if you'd like to register, or you can go to the front page of the website and let us know that you'd like to join us for that weekend. And one of the things Preston said in that video at the very end there, he said, these debates are not just about issues, they're about people. And he said, they're about my friends. And for some of us, that's true. That when we talk about human sexuality, we're talking about the experiences maybe that some of us have had, maybe some of our friends have had, our family members, those who might be uh, expressing it in a, in a different way than we do. And uh, I think it's good to rem remind ourselves uh, that these are real people's lives. When we talk about the posture we're supposed to have, that, that these are real stories uh, that people are experiencing. And, uh, you know, kind of move away from the caricatures that we like to embrace and say, no, this is a real person, a real man or woman of God created in God's image, made and loved by God. Jesus held on to uh, truth and grace perfectly, like Preston said. He, he walked in the tension of that in a perfect way, and he invites us to engage in grace and truth, to bring both of those to the conversation. Jesus consistently called people who would listen uh, to obedience, to integrity, to faithfulness, to purity. And when he engaged with those who were in the cultural minority, he often began with acceptance and hope and questions so that he could hear their stories. He talked with people individually. He didn't, and the way he talked to them didn't often shut down the conversation. It welcomed real people who had been excluded and rejected, and it welcomed them back into the conversation, back into community. And uh, that's how I want to live. I want to live in such a way that people are drawn into connection with the kingdom of God, into conversation about what God is doing in our lives. And I know many of you want to live that way as well. When we read John's gospel, we're introduced to an occasion when Jesus was talking with a woman who had been excluded in her community. She was at the uh, watering well in the middle of the day when nobody else would be there. And she did that intentionally so she wouldn't have to see the sideways glances of those around the, the well or hear them whispering over there about her. She had been uh, a, a woman of, of reputation in her village. She'd been married five times, and the person she was living with when Jesus was talking to her was not her husband. And so for that Samaritan village in the first century, this woman was of questionable integrity, and people whispered about her. Her sexuality, her identity was unanchored and unsettled, and, and she knew that, and her village knew that, and Jesus knew that as he talked with her. And after their conversation, this woman was so moved by Jesus by their conversation. I want to say that her heart was so comforted and disturbed at the same time that she went back to her neighbors and told them about what Jesus had said to her and what he was about. And in John chapter 4, we can read about what she said. Here's what John writes down. She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out, this entire town, this village, came out and made their way towards him, towards Jesus. And a few verses later, 
John writes down many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Now, if someone told me everything I ever did, I don't know that I'd be all that excited about it. You know, I'd be like, ah, that's an, I don't need to hear any more of those stories. I know what I've done. But this woman, Jesus spoke to her in such a way that she was drawn into the conversation. It was probably uncomfortable, and yet she felt the acceptance that Jesus had for her in the moment. She was drawn in and encouraged. I, I want to reflect that posture when I speak to others. I want to encourage you to reflect that posture when you speak to others. It might be when you're talking to others that Jesus would encourage you to bring a little more salt to your conversation, a little more challenge, a little more call to maturity. Maybe he'd say, I want you to kind of acknowledge some of the challenges that are going on in this relationship. There might be times when Jesus would say, I want you to bring a little more light to the conversation, a little more warmth, a little more hope. I want you to, to bring in some relational connection just to listen some more. Jesus invites us to bring both salt and light, truth and grace when we interact with people and talk to them. And so we want to we work on that. This is, again, the first week, last week we talked about improving our posture towards people means listening to their stories seeking to understand what they've been through, their experiences, not so that we can judge them or put them in categories, but just so we can listen and receive the reality of their lives. Another way we can improve our posture in this uh, human sexuality and identity conversation is to grow in our understanding of the terms and the vocabulary that our culture uses today when they talk about these things, when they talk about their stories. When we talk about our stories, around us are people, even in this room online right now, who use language that some of you might need to grow in your ability to understand. Our posture will improve when we uh, know what people mean when they say certain words, when we learn how to use the right words ourselves so that we don't unintentionally offend a family member. I mean, we intentionally offend people all the time, you know, like, but there's times when we don't want to offend someone and we might do it unintentionally if we don't think about the language we use, the kind of vocabulary that we're deploying in our conversations. And sometimes when we use the wrong language, when we misuse words, we minimize people's stories, make them feel less, and, and they disengage because they don't know that we're a safe person to continue talking to. So I want to take some time this morning as this second week of our posture check and say, what, what, are, what are the words we need to grow in? What's the vocabulary we should know about? And I, I want to be honest with you as I'm bringing this before you, it challenges me to even say these things in, in a Sunday morning gathering. It, it, to me, some of this feels a little bit more like a, a seminar about human sexuality than it does maybe a Sunday morning sermon. But I so believe that we need to address our posture we need to do some work on how we approach people who might identify differently than we do, that I'm willing to say some words this morning I've never said in church before, all right? I, I don't feel great about that either, but we're going to lean in together and continue this conversation. And we're going to start by looking at the acrostic that we often see used to, to, to capture some of those in the sexual minority, the LGBTQIA plus acrostic. We're going to put it on, on the screen there. And uh, we're going to review what these letters stand for. We're going to move through this quickly, but I want to take some time and review these letters. About 15 years ago, uh, when I first kind of engaged with these things, it was four letters, LGBT. 
And since then, other letters have been added on and even a plus sign at the end um, because there continues to be more and more ways to connect people and their experiences. So the first two are kind of the basic entry level, L and G. L stands for lesbian. These are women who are attracted to other women, women who are attracted to their same gender. And G traditionally stands for gay, which uh, we understand as men who are attracted to other men, men who are attracted to their same gender. Now, gay has become a much more expansive term. And uh, now, often when it's used, it refers to anyone who is uh, attracted to the same sex. Uh, men or women could be use that label gay. It also means other things to other people. We're going to talk some more about that in just a minute because it's a, it's a much broader term than sometimes we understand. LGB, B stands for bisexual, someone who's attracted to both men and women. T stands for transgender, and, and this term can be challenging because uh, it's somewhat of an umbrella term. It has a wide range of experiences fall under the transgender umbrella. Uh, basically, people whose gender identity or gender expression differs from their biological gender that they were born with would fall under the transgender uh, area, the umbrella there. In a few weeks, we're going to talk a lot more about gender. Uh, about maleness and femaleness, uh, because when we get into Scripture, the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter in the first book of the Bible, we read these words in Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we know from right at the beginning that the Bible has something to say about being male or being female, this, uh, these gender identities that we talk about. So we're going to talk about that some more in a couple weeks. Under this uh, transgender category discussion, we, we come across another term um, that's not in the uh, acrostic there, but it's a, a term cisgender. Cisgender, you may have heard that term in conversations, and, and cisgender really just connects to a person who identifies with their biological gender. So the gender they were born in is, is how they live life and how they identify themselves. I was born as a man. I've always saw my, seen myself as a, a man, and I identify as a man. So I would be labeled as cisgender. Cis is a, a Latin prefix that means from the same side. So I'm on the same side. As far as my, bio my biology and my expression, my understanding of myself, that's the same. Trans uh, comes from the Latin prefix that means across, that there's a divide there, that my biological sex is not, some would say, not how I experience life and my gender. So cis means that we are on the same side. Trans means there's a, a difference, a, a, a challenge to move across. Now, right here, we're about halfway through the acrostic. I just want to pause for a minute. And the idea, maybe for you, the idea that you're labeled cisgender, uh, it might be that bothers you a little bit. So I just want to pause for a moment and invite you to, to take a breath with me. Take a deep breath. And let's just settle into this moment for, uh, for a moment here. As you're processing this idea of cisgender, you might be thinking, you know what, Nate, um, my birth gender, you're telling me, my birth gender and my birth expression are the same, so I'm cis-something. What? what? Like, I'm just normal. That's all I am. I, this is the way it's supposed to work. You're born this way, you express it that way. What, why am I receiving a label? It might be that you're feeling a little irritation at the idea that you'd be labeled, or maybe a little discomfort about that in, inside, a little stirring inside of you. I, I want you to kind of lean into that for a moment. If I could invite you to, to feel your feelings, as they might say, to kind of let that stir inside you for a moment. It could be, it could be that little feeling that you're having 
uh, might help sensitize you to some of the ways that those in the sexual minority experience every day of their life. When they see that they don't fit into what seems to be the majority experience around them, when they receive a label from someone, when they are put into a box by someone, that discomfort, that feeling of, whoa, I thought this was normal and suddenly something's different. Now, let that sensitize you to some people's experience. For example, let me tell you about Ivy. Ivy is one of my daughter's friends, my daughter Haven. They, they've been at our house many times over the last few years. And a, a few weeks ago, I sat down with Haven and Ivy and I asked Ivy to tell me the, the story of their life. And, and Ivy is trans, a biological male who identifies as a woman. And she'll be graduating from high school this year. And, and growing up, she always felt different than uh, the boys that she was playing with. They wanted to play a certain way and she wanted to play a different way. And, and they wanted to experience these things and she wanted something else. And she felt that tension as a very small kid and began to try to figure that out. In fifth grade, her dad sat her down and said, I don't want you turning into one of them, one of those trans people. Dad saw something coming. And of course, his words cut Ivy and caused her to go into back a bit of a, a downward spiral. And she's gone through many things in her young life, eating disorders, self-hate, uh, depression that she still struggles with. In eighth grade, she finally talked with her mom and, and said, can I start to express a different gender than my biology? Can I, it's never felt right to me. Can I do something different? Now, Ivy continues to process who she is and, and how she's going to express this understanding of herself, and, and labels don't always help. Obviously, there's sometimes when she embraces a label, but when someone else puts a label on her, that's not always helpful. If you don't like the idea of being labeled cisgender, then, I mean, just let that kind of bring you back into, maybe into an awareness of, of how some others around us experience life every day. I've asked Ivy what she would say to us when, they, when you would hear her story this morning. And she said, would you just tell them to remember that loving someone is never a waste? Would you just tell them that? Loving someone is, is never a waste. So let's go back to our acrostic, LGBT. The next letter is Q. And this can stand for different things, two different things, queer or questioning. Now, when I was growing up, queer was a bad word. Like it was a put down. We weren't supposed to use that word. But over the last couple of decades, uh, the LGBTQ community has embraced this word and redefined it. They've kind of gotten rid of the baggage, and now they use it as uh, not a negative. It's, a, it's a, a fine way, it's an okay way to identify as queer or gay in, in that category. Uh, Q could also mean questioning, which is exactly what it sounds like. Someone who is unsure, exploring, doesn't know exactly where they fit. They know they're not in the kind of majority culture when it comes to their gender understanding or sexuality. So they're just, they're in that questioning area. Uh, the next letter that we put up there is I, intersex. And last week I shared the story of my Colorado friend, Kristen, who is intersex, someone who has sexual biological characteristics that fall outside of the traditional male-female biology. Uh, Chris has both male and female sex organs, and that, that's what intersex means. And finally, A, which is asexual. Uh, this refers to someone who experiences little or, or maybe no sexual attraction to men or women, to male or female. And it doesn't mean they don't want to be friends with people. It just means they're not, you know, attracted to men or women. They don't find that as a part of their experience. And then there's a plus at the very end, and that obviously means there's more to come. There's other letters that we could put on the acrostic. 
This is really a moving reality in our current culture. Uh, as I've watched over the last few years, last few decades, it seems like there's more and more fluidity in how people uh, identify themselves, more and more of a challenge to a historic understanding of human sexuality and understanding that we as a church uh, have embraced. We believe scripture teaches faithfulness in heterosexual marriage and, and celibacy and singleness, that if we are uh, not married, that we are celibate, we are abstaining from, we are not acting out sexually. This is the sexual ethic we see in Scripture and have embraced. In a few weeks, we're going to talk some more about what Scripture has to say about this sexual ethic. Where is it that we see the Bible giving us direction and encouragement about how we live out our identities and our sexuality? As we went through those terms, uh, some of you maybe had maybe felt a little, little tension. Maybe there's a little stirring inside of you as if you're watching online as we were talking through those terms, you maybe had some, some feelings coming up, some, maybe even some anger churning inside of you as we're talking about these things. Might be some emotions, and sometimes we want to claim those things as righteous emotions, like this, it's right to feel this way. And uh, especially when we hear stories about sexuality and gender identities outside of our experience, we, we tend to maybe get stirred up a little bit. So I want to go to Scripture and look at a story uh, of Jesus and his followers in a time when a couple of his disciples got stirred up and, and how Jesus interacted with them about that. So this is in Luke chapter 9. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at this story quickly as we continue this conversation about posture. And uh, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is sending out his 12 disciples in pairs to go out to villages and towns around the Sea of Galilee and to share about the kingdom of God. He wants them to, to shine a light, put a flashlight on what God is doing in their community at that time. So in, in verse 2 of chapter 9, uh, Luke just records these words, And Jesus sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So I want you to go and, and say, hey, do you see what God is doing in our community today? And as a way to kind of make the point, he said, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to bring wholeness to people so that they know that God is moving through you, that he's doing things. And Jesus goes on to say, now some people are going to accept what you have to say and some are not. He says, if they accept it, great. If they don't accept it, in verse 5, here's what Jesus says. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So point people towards the movement of God. If they respond, wonderful. Spend some time with them. Sit with them. If they do not respond, if you're not welcomed, Jesus says, well, shake the dust off your feet. And today we might use the phrase something like, well, wash your hands of it. Uh, Jesus is saying, you just move on. Move on. You don't have to manipulate them. You don't have to try to force them into something. Just if, you, if the peace doesn't return to you, then go ahead and move on to the next town. It's the same direction he gives to the 72 in chapter 10 when he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. If they want to hear about this way of life, spend some time with them. If they don't want to hear about it, move on to the next town. So if we skip down to the end of chapter 9, uh, verse uh, 51, right towards the end, Jesus sends out the 12, they come back, they hear the stories, there's other things that happen, and then a little while later, they're heading towards Jerusalem, and we see a couple of his disciples want to do a little bit more than shake the dust off their feet. Okay, look at verse 51. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, resolutely, because he knew he was heading to the cross, he knew he was heading to his death, and so he committed to it, he had conviction that he had to go and see this through. 
Verse 52, and Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. They did not, well, same language from the beginning of chapter nine, he was not welcomed there. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So those, the Samaritans in this town, they found out Jesus was heading to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they said, well, we don't think that's where you should go to celebrate the Passover. As Samaritans, we go to Mount Gerizim, right in central Palestine. Uh, that's where we think you should go worship Passover. So if you're going to Jerusalem, we're not going to help you. Just keep on moving. And uh, James and John, this, this, un, this unwelcoming spirit that they pick up from the Samaritans, they think, well, this demands a response. This demands a righteous response. Should we call down fire and judgment? This is what Elijah did in the Old Testament when he encountered the same people group in that northern area of Israel. They weren't called Samaritans at the time, but Elijah called down fire. And so James and John are like, we, it's biblical. Aren't we supposed to bring this fire upon the people? And Jesus turns and corrects them. I wonder if he references, hey, we talked about this before I sent you out. You just shake the dust off your feet. I didn't say anything about judgment and fire. I like how the message paraphrase puts these verses. Jesus turned on them and said, of course not. Of course not. We're not going to call down fire. When we get stirred up, we might want to call down fire too, right? When we get upset and angry or don't understand or get frustrated, we want to call down fire sometimes as well. And sadly, this is what we're known for as those who follow Jesus, those in the Christian church. Most LGBTQ people, when they think of church people, they don't think about loving conversations sprinkled with salt and light. They think of fire being called down. Andrew Mirren is a, an author, a business owner, research PhD, uh, did some surveying about six, seven years ago. He talked with uh, 1,700 LGBTQ people, probably not him personally, but his team did, almost 2,000, and uh, interviewed them and surveyed them and asked some questions. And uh, these are some of the things he found out. One of the things he found out of the 1,700 LGBTQ people, 83% grew up going to church. So a big majority of them grew up going to church. 51% left the church after they turned 18. So Aaron said, well, why did you leave church? Let me understand what, what, what caused that to happen. Of the 51% that left the church, only 3% said they left because of the church's view on marriage and sexuality. Three, only 3%. It means the vast majority of those who left, left because of other reasons, because they felt isolated, because they felt labeled or dehumanized, because they were harassed or maybe even kicked out of their church. It wasn't the theology of their faith community that moved them out. It was the posture that the people of faith took toward them. It was, it was the fire that was being called down. It was all the ways they were excluded so Marin went on to ask some other questions. He said, so what about coming back to Christianity? What about coming back to the church? Would you be open to that? And he found of these 1,700 people, 76% said they would consider returning to the church if the church made some changes. First off, I wanted to say that's incredible that over three quarters would say, I, I would consider going back after what they went through. 
But then we say, well, because they want the church to make some changes, and right away we think, of course, they want us to change what we believe the Bible says about sexuality. So Marin went on to say, well, what do you mean? What is it that you'd want to see change? He found that 8% said that they meant the theology. Only 8%. That means 92% said you don't have to change what you believe. You don't have to change what, what you're telling us Scripture teaches. 92% said, could you change, though, how you interact with me, how you see me? Could you change the posture you have toward me? Would you listen to my story? Would you be patient with me? Would you allow me to process and walk in the reality of my life? Would you walk with me? Would you love me as you love yourself? I'd like to go back to that vocabulary again for just a minute as we move towards the end, because sometimes the words we use sound a lot like calling down fire, like from Luke, Luke 9 there. Some of the terms we use can be misunderstood. Some of the terms have real broad understanding, and so they're not always helpful. I want to go back to that word gay for a moment. It means different things to different people. And that LGBTQ acrostic, G, uh, means gay. And, it, and there it, it, it talks about the same sex attraction that people experience, that they're drawn to someone of the same gender. It doesn't mean they're acting on that uh, attraction. It doesn't mean anything more than they are experiencing attraction to someone of the same gender. That's a, what people mean when they say gay often. Sometimes, though, when people say gay, they're referring to their gender identity. It's really not about their biological sex or their, their understanding of male or female or who they're attracted to. It's just that they know there is something different about them internally. And so they use that term gay just to say, I'm, I'm not in the majority culture in this area. For some people, when they use the word gay, they're thinking primarily of just the sexual behavior, that the act uh, of sex between a man, and a man and a man or a woman and a woman, that's really all it means to them. When you say gay, they think, well, who are you in bed with? And that's, that's really what they, all they're thinking about when they use that word. For some people, when you use the word gay, they think of a political stance, a, a progressive activism that's seeking to redefine sexuality in our culture today. So since that word gay can mean so many different things, it's probably a good idea to not go with your gut when someone says, I'm gay, but to say, well, what do you mean by that? Tell me your story. What, is, what does that mean when you say that? And there's several terms. That it's probably best just to listen to the story and not make judgments too quickly when someone uses a certain word. Let me give you just a couple terms that I would encourage you to stop using. Doesn't mean you will, but I, I just want to encourage you to, to not use certain terms because you might be saying things you're not meaning to say when you say these words. You might be like sending signals that you're not trying to send when you say certain words, and I want you to think about that. So here's some terms to avoid when it comes to this, this conversation. First one is homosexuality. Homosexual, actually, homosexual. This, this, this term is, is outdated. It, it comes across as sterile and clinical. When you use homosexual as a label for a person, it, it might be accurate, but it's not a warm term. It's not an inviting term. It's not a welcoming word. It, it keeps others who identify as gay at arm's length. Are you a homosexual? I mean, even just asking that question kind of grates against many ears. So it's just a word that's not really helpful anymore. This is posture work, okay? This is about posture. Let's think about the language we use. I want to encourage you not to use that word because it's just outdated. It doesn't, it doesn't hit people's ears the right way. Uh, here's another phrase I want you to think about, gay lifestyle. It'd be great if we could stop saying gay lifestyle. There is not one gay lifestyle. 
As the acrostic tells us, there is a diversity of experiences and understandings about people's sexuality, their gender, how they are trying to express themselves. And when we say gay lifestyle, it reduces all of that down to one thing, which isn't accurate. Uh, Think about those of you who might identify as straight. Is there a straight lifestyle? Would you want to be connected to every straight person in our country and how they choose and what they do with their lives and say, yep, that's me too. Put me into that, you know, group. So this is a term that that really doesn't help us. And a lot of times when we say gay lifestyle, we're simply referring to uh, gay sex. That's all we're talking about. We're talking about the sexual behavior. And it's not a helpful term in that way. There's another one I want to encourage you to avoid. Same kind of an idea, practicing homosexual. Practicing homosexual. This one misses the mark twice, uses that word homosexual again. We've already talked about that one. And then practicing, which is just doesn't make sense to most people. What do you mean practicing homosexual? Again, we're just reducing it down to the behavior, the act of, of gay sex. And that is not what everyone experiences who identifies as gay or in other ways. And so it's reducing them down and it's not a helpful term. One more I want to share with you. And again, I wanted to say these are terms I want to encourage you to avoid so we can work on our posture and how we interact with people. I want to call you back to how Jesus interacted with people, how he spoke, how he, when he interacted with people, how they left the conversation. And he's, he's our role model. And, and he encourages us. One of the things Jesus said in Matthew 7, Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And our vocabulary, the language we use, the words, the terms we use, they can be like a plank in our eye. And they're getting in the way of us having real relationships and conversations with people who may identify differently than we do. So one more I want to give you, one more term, phrase to, I want to encourage you not to use, and that's gay agenda. Gay agenda. It doesn't get much colder than this one. You think it's cold outside. When you label someone as part of the gay agenda, it gets frigid. We use this category to reduce people down to how they vote. And if we're honest, don't we all have an agenda? Don't we all want people to respond to something? Don't we all want them to live in a certain way? Aren't there things we believe that we would like others to believe as well and at least respect As a church community here at Hillcrest, we hope and pray that every person we encounter will pursue new life with us in Jesus, that they would be pursuing new life in Jesus together as a community. If someone were to say to me, that's your agenda, I would bristle at that. It's not a word that's helpful. It, it, It separates us. An agenda is not relational. An agenda is not engaging or welcoming. An agenda fixes and solves problems. It doesn't love people. And so when we put others in the agenda box, it's simply a way for us to put them in a category that we don't have to deal with. We can move them over there and say, I I don't deal with that. That's the agenda. I don't want the agenda. And it's a word that's not helpful. It separates us. I want to encourage you not to use that that phrase. And, And remember, Jesus... He was so scandalous in the ways that he interacted with people, how he loved those who were in the cultural minority of his day. He was so out of the box in how he did that that the religious leaders of his day began to think he must be possessed by demons because of the ways that he talked with other people and how he walked with other people. So this is by, this is by the devil that he's doing these things. That's how out of the box Jesus was. 
So I want to finish up with a quote from a resource called Posture Shift, which was put together by a group that used to be called Welcome Them Home. And it's a group that's helped our denomination put together resources in this conversation. And so this is just a, a packet of information they had. And I want to just read this quote about language, about vocabulary. Words and phrases like gay lifestyle, lifestyle choices, sexual preference, alternative lifestyle, practicing homosexual, love the sinner, hate the sin. I mean, we didn't even touch on that one. These, these phrases, these words can deeply hurt or trigger LGBT plus people. Biblically, they write, we are called to so hate our own sin that we actually repent. And likewise, we're called to love others whether or not they ever repent. We're called to love as we love ourselves. I hope, I hope this is helping you think about the posture that you walk in in this conversation, the ways that you interact and talk with people who identify differently, the words that you use. Next week, we're going to talk some more about this sin, this idea of repentance that we're called to. Next week, we're going to talk about human rebellion and, uh, and how we are created to walk towards life, and yet we often choose to walk towards death and that the path to life and the path to death, we don't get to identify those. We don't get to define those. They have been laid out since the creation of the world. And in scripture, God says, I want to invite you to walk towards life. And when we sin, we walk towards death. So we're going to talk about that next week because all of us are are broken in some way in how we seek intimacy and how we seek connection with others. And so we want to lean in next week as we talk about those things. Thanks for engaging in this with me this morning. I want to invite our worship team to come up, and um, I want to pray as they're coming up on the stage. They're going to lead us in one song which talks about our same, our same God, how God is consistent and unchanging. And I'm so thankful that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that as things around us might feel pretty shifty or changing around us, that he is consistent and calls us to himself. Uh, so will you pray with me? And then we'll, we'll sing together. Father, thanks for a chance to continue this conversation around posture. Lord, uh, this, this conversation may have stirred some of us up. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us. Spirit of God, would you um, allow us to know what is true and good in this conversation? Would you help us to hold on to what Scripture tells us? And Lord, would you help us to respond to the example that Jesus gives as he walked with and talked with and listened to the stories of those who were excluded and pushed out, those who were in the minority culture in their day. Lord, might we see the example that Christ gives and, and seek to live that way. Allow us to know uh, what kind of grace and truth you would have us express to those around us. And Lord, might, us, might we continue to think about our posture, that we would be known as those who love and are kind and who listen. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad we can uh, finish by singing those words that God is unchanging. He is the same. And uh, he continues to save. He continues to speak. I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up at this time. Uh, every Sunday, there's those here to pray with you and encourage you. And maybe you just need that reminder this morning that God is with you, that he's unchanging, that, that you can trust him, that he is good and faithful. And if you'd like to come up and let us just pray with you about whatever you're facing, we'd love the opportunity to do that. As you go, just remember that idea of, of salt and light, that you are called to bring salt and light to this world, grace and truth. 
that the way you approach people and how you speak to people matters. Let's think about our posture. So go with God and uh, bring light and love to those around you. Bring truth and grace. And we'll see you next Sunday. Amen.